Turn with me to James chapter 4, verse 1. James chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing that the cross lay ahead. And as he began to pray, he asked the disciples to pray with him, Peter, James, and John. And uh, he began to pour his heart out to God. Lord, if, if it's possible, let this cup pass for me. And he, uh, he, he knew the worst part of the wrath, the worst part of the cross would be the wrath of God that would come upon him for sin. If there was a possibility to avoid that and do things another way, but there was no other way. So Jesus went to the cross, but he prepared in prayer and three times poured out his heart to God while the disciples slept. There were two very different outcomes. Uh, For Jesus, Jesus had an outcome of victory. Yes, I know he went to a cross. Yes, I know he died. But it was an outcome of victory because he fulfilled the purpose and the will of God and he rose again. The disciples, on the other hand, utterly failed God. And that encourages me, right? Because praise God, if you've ever failed God, aren't you glad that His grace is sufficient for us? Um, but the, the apostles didn't have to fail in the way that they failed. Jesus said, watch and pray. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. That old nature we have is weak. So they needed to pray to overcome that old nature. But I'm going to tell you something. The devil was also at work in the time of the crucifixion of Jesus. The Bible says in the Gospel of John that Satan descended upon Judas and it was night. Judas went out to betray Jesus. So it was Satan's program that was being carried out during this time. But God gave them the grace that they needed to get through, uh, and specifically Jesus, on to victory and to a resurrection that would be the first fruits of the resurrection for all eternity. You see, Jesus died and rose never to die again. Can I tell you something? He sits at the right hand of God the Father in perpetual victory. (laughs) He has all victory and all power is in his hands. I want you to know that we need God in the struggle of spiritual warfare. We need Jesus Christ. We need his power. We need his authority. We need the Father. And we need to call upon the name of the Lord in prayer. James was writing to a church that had some issues. They were fighting with one another. Uh, He, at the end of chapter 3, talks about the fact that they were living according to the world's wisdom. They were all trying to fight each other and get their way. Have you ever been in uh, a a series or service uh, uh, that was kind of like that, where people were fighting one another? It's it's not a good thing. Uh, But that's what they were doing. And and so James in chapter 4 is continuing this speech to them where he's telling them, look, you are doing things the wrong way. You are living according to the world's wisdom instead of living according to God's wisdom. Uh, You are relying upon yourself to get your own way rather than relying upon God to follow his way. And so they had it all mixed up. 
And James is writing to clarify to them what they need to do. Rather than living according to the wisdom that is demonic, they needed to live according to God's wisdom. Uh, Rather than walking by sight and in the strength of their flesh, they needed to walk by faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, if Jesus Christ can save our soul from sin, he can certainly be trusted to help us in this life. He has all power. So uh, the title of my message is Seeking God for Victory. And we need to seek God for victory and rely upon his help in the struggle that we have called spiritual warfare. So look with me at verse 1 of James 4. What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be the friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. Or do you think it is without reason that the scripture says the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely? But he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. So seeking God for victory, how do we do that? Well, first of all, you need to remember to ask God instead. To ask God instead. Instead, they're fighting. They're, I mean, it is a free-for-all in the church that James is writing to here. Uh, they are fighting, but he says, ask God instead. Look at what he says. Uh, verse 2, you do not have because you do not ask. What would happen if we handled things with prayer? Now, I recognize that we're also told to contend for the faith which was once for all entrusted to the saints. We're told to take a stand for what is right and what is good, and and at times we need to do that. But could it be that many of the problems that we find in the house of God or among the lives of the people of God have more to do with the fact that we are not seeking God with the problems that we have in our lives, and we're trying to handle them in our own strength? Um, He says, ask God instead. Go to the Lord with the problem. Go to the Lord with the situation. Pour out your heart before him. Cast your cares on him, for he cares for you. You see, what did Moses do? Uh, One time they wanted to stone Moses. Uh, Moses, uh, we don't agree with what you're doing. Moses, we we don't like what's going on. Moses, you're the leader. They were talking about stoning him. I tell you what, at least pastors, if they get fired, they can go on their way. Uh, They're going to stone Moses. 
Moses went to the Lord. He said, what am I going to do, Lord? They're about to stone me. And God gave him a course of action and brought him through to the other side. And many times in his life, that was the way it was. He sought the Lord with the difficulties and and the problems surrounding him. Elijah uh, was in a very wicked period of Israel's history. He was a prophet of God in a wicked period of history. I want to tell you something. Those who speak the gospel and those who speak the truth are having a harder and harder time in our country as our country becomes more wicked. But can I tell you something? Our God is still able. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And we can still bring our requests to God. And the kingdom of God can still move forward. Uh, Elijah took things to God in prayer. And, and one time, you remember he was, he was calling down fire from heaven on his enemies. And three, three bands of 50 came to him. Three times, well, two times, he called down fire from heaven. The third time, the guy got down on his knees and begged him not to kill them. And, and uh, asked if, uh, if they would come, if he would come. And, and God said, Elijah, go with them. You see, he's relying upon the guidance of the Lord. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, I do nothing but what my Father tells me to do. Jesus set the perfect example of going to God. He spent time in prayer, oftentimes breaking away from people who needed healing and uh, who, who needed ministry, he would break away. And one time, he, he'd gone out so early in the morning, the disciples didn't even know where he was. Don't you know they're looking for you, Jesus? Jesus said, we're going elsewhere. We've got other things to do. But he was seeking God in prayer. Why? Because he was seeking God's power about the circumstances he was in. Well, I thought Jesus was God. Couldn't Jesus handle this on his own? Well, yes, he could. But Jesus lived the life of faith while he was here. The life of faith you and I were called to live and didn't do perfectly. So Jesus did that for us in our place and set the perfect example for us as well. Um, So uh, if Jesus needed to ask God, so do we. (laughs) Uh, And so ask God instead. When you got a problem in your family, take it to the Lord in prayer. When you got a problem in your workplace, Take it to the Lord in prayer, and please, if there's a problem in the church, take it to the Lord in prayer and see what he will do. You see, what they were trying to do is they were using human means, fleshly old nature, ways of doing things, demonic wisdom to try to solve spiritual problems. That's one of the problems with the church today. We've forgotten that there's a God to consult, and we've tried to do We've got consultants, but we've forgotten there's a God to consult, Right? Uh, We need to go to the Lord in prayer about the problems that we're facing. So ask God instead. If you want to seek God for victory, and by the way, let me say one other thing about this uh, before I move on. Did you know one of Satan's primary ways of attacking you is to break up relationships? Did you know that? That's one of his primary ways to destroy a church. That's one of his primary ways to destroy a family. God has his number. And when we bring those things to God in prayer, the goal of the enemy is thwarted. Uh, When I was in the military, we did something called preventative maintenance. 
And what, what that meant is we didn't wait for stuff to break down before we worked on it. We would, we would, we would oil it. We would lube it. We would uh, change out parts that needed to be changed. And the idea was if you took good care of it, then it would last and you, it wouldn't break on you when you needed it. It's called preventative maintenance. You need to do that in your life. Do this preventative maintenance in prayer. If you think there may be a problem on the horizon in your family, take it to God in prayer before it becomes a problem. Or if you, if you see things, you, you know, man, I, I see the culture in which my, my kids or maybe my grandkids are going to live. I, I see all the wickedness around. How about praying that God would protect them from that wickedness and that God would give them strength to stand uh, and, and pray that God would teach them how to walk in the Spirit do these things before they ever need it. When they're still little. And see how God will work in their lives. Gets me excited thinking about it. So uh, ask God instead. So seeking God for victory. How? Remember to ask God instead. Secondly, love God first. Love God first. Uh, he says in verse 3, you ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spit it on your pleasures. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So you kind of have to take in the, the context to understand what he's saying here. He's, he's been talking about demonic wisdom in chapter 3, right? He says, you're, you're fighting each other, and you're doing it according to demonic wisdom. Uh, you're in it for yourself. It's all about you. That's one of the problems with, with our society, right? It's, everybody's all about themselves, right? And, and so what are they doing? They're asking God, but they're asking not with the priority of the kingdom of God, not with what's best for God's church or what's best for your family or what's best in the situation. God knows what's best. But they're asking, Lord, give me what I want so I can spend it on my pleasure. It's all about me. I don't care if it hurts this other person. Just give me what I want. I don't care what the, what the outcome is. Just give me what I want. That's kind of the attitude that they have. And so he, he just... James is kind of blunt. He's not very tactful. He just says, you're a bunch of adulterers. He said, you have committed adultery, spiritual adultery against God. You're putting other things and other people before God. You're so willing to get your own way that you will fight and cause disharmony in the, in the church of God to get your own way regardless of what it does to the church of God. You ever know anybody who'd do that? You see, it's a dangerous position. Uh, sometimes it's more subtle. Sometimes uh, spiritual adultery comes in. Maybe we don't realize it. We begin to put other things before God. And we begin to drift spiritually from God. And then we begin to have wrong priorities. And those wrong priorities become all that matters to us so that we're willing to do wrong things to get what we want. So he says you need to recognize there is a, a fundamental spiritual problem that you have that is causing you to be defeated by Satan. You are committing spiritual adultery. Serious business. 
friendship with the world is hostility toward God. Now, let me just take a minute here and talk about this. Many people in the church today are saying we need to become like the world. We need to adopt all the world's practices. We need to, to bring all the world's strategy into the church. We need to, to act like the world and think like the world so that we can reach the world. That's a lie from the pit of hell. We're called to be distinct. We're called to be holy. We're called to be set apart. We're called to be a peculiar people. Set apart for God's good works. And sometimes this idea becomes so subtle, the church tries to become like the world and there then ends up becoming like the world in other ways. The morality and the, all of these other things. There are churches that are excusing every kind of wicked thing you can imagine today. Why? They've bought into this lie. To be, we need to be friends with the world. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. If we're filled with the Spirit of God and we have the Word of God, can I tell you something? That's every bit enough power we need to reach somebody for Christ. You don't have to become like the world to reach people. Be the real thing as a child of God and you will have the power of God resting upon you to reach the world. He says to be friends with the world is hostility toward God. We've got problems among the churches of God sometimes because some are friends of the world. Guess what? They're hostile toward God. So another church trying to serve God, they're hostile toward that church. The society is hostile toward the church. Why? Because it's the world. The world. I'm, I'm not talking about the globe. I'm not talking about the earth. I'm talking about Satan's evil system. The Bible says Satan's the prince of this world. That he influences the cultures of this world. He influences uh, the way things are organized in this world. And he sets those things in opposition to the church and the purposes of God. And that's why friendship with the world is opposition against God. Because we set ourselves on, on the uh, Satan's side rather than setting ourselves upon God's side. Can you wonder why we're defeated spiritually if we're on the world's side? And the devil's side, rather than on God's side, of course spiritual defeat's going to come. So we've got to uh, repent of spiritual adultery in our lives. We've got to put Christ first. And, of course, we do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. Aren't you glad we have the Holy Spirit to help us with these things? So uh, we've got to love God first. You see, sometimes the best defense is a good offense. A lot of times, people don't follow God with their whole heart, and they wonder why they're failing in their spiritual life. You know what the scripture says? You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. You see, these promises assume something. They assume that Christ is the number one passion of our life. That we're pursuing Christ. You see, part of the reason for our spiritual defeat is we just don't love Christ the way we should. You say, well, how do I do that, preacher? You can't do it in your own strength. But you can let the Holy Spirit fill you and love God through you. You can confess that to God and say, Holy Spirit, give me the love that I don't have. Help me to love God. 
and uh, do that through me. And uh, help me to put you first in my life. And so this is a prayer God loves to answer. But we've got to love God first. And sometimes it begins with repentance. Sometimes we've been going down a path of our life that we just have, we've been determined to go down that path. And we know it's not pleasing to God, but we're choosing to do it anyway. And sometimes just repentance, just saying, Lord, forgive me. I've sinned. I'm wrong. I want to follow you. Help me turn. Help me follow you in doing what you have called me to do. But loving God first is part of spiritual victory. None of us do it perfectly. Praise God one day. God's going to take away that old sin nature. We won't have to deal with it anymore. Won't that be a glorious day? And, uh, but, but in the meantime, we don't have to live in defeat. We can choose to pursue God. And we can ask God for his help in that. And he will give us the grace that we need. Uh, what about Peter? You remember Peter? Well, he, Peter says, Lord... Uh, these other guys, they may fail you, but I'll never fail you. Peter, Jesus says to Peter, Peter, before the cock crows three times, you're going to deny me, or twice, you're going to deny me three times. And so, um, and, and that is exactly what happens. Peter denies Jesus three times. The cock crows, and one of the Gospels tells us Jesus turned and looked at him. Peter wept bitterly. He had failed God. He thought God was first, but God wasn't first in his life. He was out to save his own skin. Jesus knew Peter's heart. He knew about his failure before it even happened. Did you know that your failure doesn't shock the Lord? He knows about it before it happens. Um. And Jesus, with such compassion, what does he do? After his resurrection, he goes to Peter, and he's already talked to the disciples as a whole, but he goes to Peter, and he says, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Now, I'm not going to get into all the specifics of that. Peter had denied him three times. Jesus recommissioned him three times. He said, Peter, I know exactly who you are. I still love you. I still have a plan for you. And I want you to minister to my people. Feed my sheep. And so, um, praise God, if you failed, there's hope. Uh, the Lord can come alongside you and help you walk in that victory that you need. So, seeking God for victory. How? Remember to ask God instead. Secondly, to love God first. Thirdly, to seek God's help, <clears throat> to seek God's help, speaks about the spirit envying intensely or, or being jealous or, or zealous um, when we put other priorities in front of God. But then he says he gives greater grace. Uh, God's grace is greater to cover our sin. Uh, it's also greater to empower us for his work. His grace is greater than the old nature that we have. Isn't that a wonderful thing? He gives greater grace. In other words, every bit of grace you need, he has. Seek his help. 
Now, I realize that's very similar to asking God, but seeking his help, recognizing your need for God's help. Some people think they don't need God. Well, I, yeah, we'll pray about it once we've tried everything else. You ever hear anybody say something like that? Well, yeah, I know, we can pray about it, but let's, let's let me, you know, we, we need a plan. And it's almost as though prayer is an afterthought. I don't really need to seek God. I've got this thing wired, right? So this idea of seeking God's help means that I humble myself before God to say, Lord, I can't do this in my strength. I need you. I love what he says. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now, if you follow the world's wisdom, you'll be prideful. You'll be angry and wrathful and demanding your own way and on all these things the, the church that James is addressing here was doing. But if you humble yourself, according to God's wisdom, the Bible says he gives you grace. Now, that's not just grace. Praise God, he gives us grace when we say, Lord, I've sinned against you. He gives us grace. But he also gives grace in the sense that he gives the power to serve God. Sometimes grace is just the unmerited favor of God in blessing us despite the fact that we don't deserve it. Other times, God blesses us, giving us what we don't deserve by empowering us to serve him. And this grace here comes to those who are humble. And to be humble doesn't mean that you wear rags and you go around talking about how awful you are. That's just, that's, that's fake, okay? Humble people are, are not people that try to talk about themselves like, I'm a worm, I, I'm not deserving of anything. That's not a humble person. A humble person is a person who relies on Jesus. That's what a humble person is. You don't have to be dishonest about the gifts you've got, but you recognize that those gifts won't do you a bunch of good without Christ. You have a reliance upon Christ, and you recognize that without Him you'll fail in God's purposes. God resists the proud, stands against them, but He gives grace to the humble. So we seek God's help, and that seeking of God is a humbling of ourselves. <clears throat> this is, by the way, the heart of true prayer. You remember when Jesus was observing the publican and, uh, and the Pharisee, and he's looking at the two of them, and the Pharisee says, ha, 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 I thank you, Lord, that I'm not like other men. And, Lord, I thank you that I'm so good and that I tithe and I do all these things. And I thank you for all these. <clears throat> God didn't listen to his prayer. God's resisting him. The publican comes and he's, he's so ashamed of his sin, he won't even lift his head. And he's beating his breast. God, be merciful on his knees. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said that man went home justified. Why? Because he understood the heart of true prayer is to seek the Lord. The Pharisee had no need of God. Prayer was just an exercise for him. He, he was proud. He didn't think he needed God. He thought he was better than everybody else. 
He thought he had everything wired. But the publican recognized that he was a desperate sinner. And he had no hope without Jesus. And so he came humbly. And he bowed on his knees and bowed his head. And he said, God, I need you. That's the essence of true prayer. So we seek God's help. And it's amazing what God will do when you come to him with a humble spirit and simple trust. Jesus humbled himself. Can you imagine what it must have been like to receive the worship of the angels, to be exalted in glory in a perfect place with no sin, and then to have to come to this earth? You know, I'm so, we were talking about it this morning but in our prayer time before the service, and uh, we were talking about how we're just longing for Jesus coming. I, I'm ready. You know, Lord, when the Lord wants to punch my ticket, <laughs> take me out of here. I'm ready to go see Jesus. I'm ready for uh, the joy that awaits me in heaven. But Jesus willingly left that. And he was born in a stable of all places, a feeding trough, a smelly barn with smelly animals. And you know what is in smelly barns with smelly animals. I mean, it was not a place a normal king would stay. And Jesus humbled himself. He, he was a son of a carpenter. He was raised in ordinary circumstances. Um, and, and he humbled himself to be obedient to God, even to death on a cross. The king of heaven was spat upon, was beaten. Nails were, dry, were, were driven into his hands and feet. Crown of thorns was jabbed upon his head. And it wasn't because he had to. He says, listen, I, I can call 10,000 angels. Listen, don't you think I, I'm forced in this path? I can call for the angels anytime I want to. But he humbled himself and was obedient unto death, even death on a cross. That's our Savior. And because of that, God has highly exalted him and given him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that he's Lord. You see, we're called to humble ourselves. Maybe not in such an extreme way, but we're called to humble ourselves and to seek God's help in life. And I'm going to tell you something. You're not going to get to the place in your spiritual life where you know enough where you can do it on your own. Have you ever kind of maybe subconsciously thought that? Well, if I can just reach this level of knowledge sometime, I'll have arrived. And, I, you know, I can just relax and I won't need to maybe rely on God as much. No, you have to rely on God. What did Jesus say? Apart from me, you can do what? Some things. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We never get over our need for God. We've got to seek his help. So that's true in spiritual warfare, but it's true in every facet of life. What did Peter say? He's sinking down in the water. He, hey, what Peter, Peter, I thought you failed in faith, but he's called out upon Jesus. What does Jesus do? He brings him up. 
<laughs> he didn't say, Peter, I, you think I'm helping you? You're not believing in me. You know, get with it. Uh, you know, uh, no, he, he reaches out in mercy and helps him up. Did you know that's God's heart toward us? My little grandsons are learning how to walk, and um, uh, Beckham's doing, he's, he's doing pretty good. He occasionally fall. Liam's a little more top-heavy. That's what the doctor said. Uh, and so he's, he's walking, but he's not quite as stable. He's kind of doing this, you know. And, uh, but you know what? When they fall, I don't say, hey, you think I'm helping you out? Get with the program, buddy. <laughs> I help him up. And uh, listen, God loves you. He knew about all your failures before you were ever born. And he still chose to create you, and he still chose to send Jesus for you. He still chose, if you know Christ, he's chosen to save your soul. Despite the fact that he knows every failure you would ever have. And when you call upon his name, his heart is moved. One of, the, one of the amazing things about God, if I was God, I wouldn't have done it that way. And thank God I'm not. <laughs> but uh, God, if you look at the book of Judges, the people, a lot of, a lot of uh, theologians believe that they didn't really genuinely repent. They would just call on God in desperation, even though they hadn't repented. And God would rescue them from their oppressors because his heart is compassionate. Now, don't let that keep you from repentance because the Bible does teach us we need to repent and you won't walk in the fullness of uh, what God has for you without repentance. But understand this about the heart of God. He loves you and that love is not conditional on your performance. When you get a hold of that, it'll inspire your heart to worship. He's there to pick you up. So seek his help. He is ready he is eager to help you in your struggle. So, seeking God for victory. How? Remember to ask God instead, to love God first, to seek God's help, to submit to God's will. Look at verse 7. Therefore, submit to God. A lot of times you hear this verse quoted and they leave that part out. Resist the devil and he will flee from you is what, what they quote, right? I've probably done that myself, I have to be honest with you. Uh, <laughs> but submit to God comes first. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So we have to submit to God. And, and, and here, he's calling them to submit to God in their relationships. He's calling them to submit to God in their church life. And in their own personal desires. You know, sometimes we, we have desires that we want to see fulfilled. You ever been mad at God because he wasn't doing what you wanted him to do? Submit to God. It's a step of faith. Um, guess what? God knows better what we need than we do. He knows what is best. Submit to God. Uh, he says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And then he gives some, some uh, specifics. He says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So part of submission to God is actually choosing to seek him. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. See, they're trying to walk two paths. You ever done that in your life? I, 
I did that before I was a Christian in a big way. I lived one way at church. I lived another way when I was at school. And uh, I tried to live down the preacher's son's reputation at school, right? So I tried to be worse than everybody else. So I'll just leave you to fill in the blanks. Um, But sometimes Christians do that. They try to walk two paths at once. And that's that's a losing battle. When you refuse to submit to God, what you do, the Bible says rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Really? Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Why? Because rebellion quenches the Spirit of God and it opens us up to the attack of the evil one. There are scriptures that talk about don't give the devil a foothold. What hap- how do you do that? Rebellion. Don't allow, uh, or well, there's one scripture that says, uh, we pull down strongholds and every high and lofty thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ. How do you get a stronghold in your life? Rebellion. You see, rebellion opens the door for Satan to come work in your life. Don't you think if you say, well, Lord, I'm going to reserve this one, one thing, this one pet sin in my life for myself. I'll give you everything else and, and I'll be fine. That's not the way it works. You give the, day, the devil an inch and he'll take a mile. So you can't be double-minded. You've got to be single-minded. You've got to repent uh, fully. You've got to follow God wholeheartedly if you want to have victory. So uh, verse 9, be miserable, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. So what is he, what is he talking about there? Well, there are two kinds of sorrow in Scripture. The Scripture says that there's a sorrow that leads to death. It's a worldly sorrow. And that's the sorrow the devil wants us to have. So that if you've sinned against God, he's going to remind you every chance he gets of what you've done and how you're not worthy and why do you even try to pray and these kinds. If you ever had those thoughts in your mind, now you know where they come from. They come straight from hell. God doesn't want you to have that sorrow. If the Son of Man sets you free, you're going to be free indeed. But godly sorrow means that rather than being nonchalant about my sin, I don't really care, I take my sin seriously and I'm broken about it. David writes about this in Psalm 51. and uh, he, he's, you know, he's committed adultery. He has murdered Uriah uh, indirectly, but he's done it. And, uh, and he's been rebuked by Nathan the prophet. And, and so he comes to God, he begins to pour out his heart in repentance. And he says these, these words, he says, A broken and contrite heart, O God, thou will not despise. If you're broken over your sin, can I tell you something? God's going to receive you every single time. <laughs> it, God does not turn away broken and contrite. And this is what James is saying. You need to get broken. Sometimes we're too proud to be broken. We're too proud to even acknowledge our sin. But when the Spirit of God begins to convict us and we acknowledge our sin and we do more than we we begin to get broken over the fact that, hey, in these, these folks' case, I've been living according to demonic wisdom. I've been an agent of the evil one in God's church. 
uh, and, and they're, he says, be broken about it. Oftentimes today, people are too uh, anesthetized to sin to take it very seriously. They laugh at sin, make jokes about sin, uh, and we don't take it seriously. And God's saying, look, I want you to be broken over your sin. And that is part of making that choice to submit to God where we truly are broken. Uh, until we're broken over our sin, we'll, we'll tend to be double-minded. Now, once you have brought that sin to God, and once you're broken over that sin, you've confessed that sin to God, you've repented of it, then don't worry about the sorrow anymore. Let that sorrow be in your past and move on in faith in Jesus Christ. Because praise God, it's under the blood. Isn't that wonderful? He buries our sins in the sea of forgetfulness, separates them as far as the east is from the west. But submission to God is important. So, And if you're going to have victory over the devil, one, one commentator I read said resisting the devil uh, is accomplished through submitting to God. In other words, our submitting to God is a resisting of the devil. But I think there, there are two ideas here. You submit to God, and then you resist the devil. You, you can quote scripture. You stand uh, in faith. You call upon the Lord. Uh, you, in the name of Jesus Christ, leave. That, that would be a resisting of the devil. Um, but, uh, but submission to God is where it starts. Why? Because you cannot win the battle on your own. And if you're not submitted to God, you're quenching the spirit of God. And that means you're going into the battle without divine help. It's not that God's not there. It's not that God couldn't help you uh, if you called upon his name. It's just that until you submit, it's like turning off a faucet of power. But when you submit, then the Spirit of God can fill you and resist through you uh, to the glory of God. So, seeking God for victory. How? Uh, remember to ask God instead, to love God first, to seek God's help, and to submit to God's will. So important. All right. So um, we're going to have a time of invitation, and I want to invite you to uh, submit to God afresh and anew today if you need to do that. Uh, perhaps uh, you want to come to this altar and, and tell God about something you're struggling with. Perhaps you need prayer. Maybe you're going through a spiritual struggle. I'd be happy to pray with you here at the front. Let me tell you something. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you especially need this time. Because the Bible says that uh, you are part of Satan's kingdom until you put your trust in Jesus Christ. And uh, that may not be intentional on your part, but it's the default, okay? If you're not in Christ's kingdom, you're in Satan's kingdom. And that means that Satan pretty much has access to you and that you don't have the protection of Jesus Christ over your life. Listen, if you know Jesus Christ, we're born of God. The devil has to ask Jesus permission. And we're under God's protection. Uh, but if you don't know Christ, there's no such protection. So I want to tell you, uh, you need to seek Jesus just for Jesus' sake because Jesus is worthy to be sought. Uh, but he will also bring a level of protection to your life. And, and if you're dealing with some spiritual issues, maybe you've got some problems with demonic uh, forces in your life. And some of you probably think I'm crazy but saying that, but... 
it's true. I, I talk to people fairly often who've had those issues. Uh, I want to tell you something. There is freedom in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ lived the perfect life you couldn't live. He died the death you deserved at Calvary's cross and rose again. He defeated Satan. Uh, he defeated death. He defeated sin. And, and uh, uh, he is offering salvation as a gift to you. And he asked you to do two things. Uh, one is to make a decision to turn from your sin in your own way to follow Christ. That's a decision of repentance, a surrender of your life to Christ to follow him. Um, it's, a, it's a decision of faith, right? To surrender yourself to Jesus. Also, he asks you to trust him for eternal life. Uh, Jesus will give the gift of eternal life. The Bible says that uh, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So if you need to make that decision today, I'll be here at the front. If you need help with a prayer, you can come to this altar and pray to the Lord in your own words if you want to. But make sure you get that settled and let, let the Lord know, Lord, I want to surrender to you. I want to receive your eternal life. And I trust Jesus Christ to bring that eternal life I need. If that's your need, you come and do that. Let's, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, uh, Lord, for the, the uh, power that you have that is greater than all the power of the enemy. Thank you, Lord, that you can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And, Lord, I pray for any who are here today that need Jesus Christ, that they would make a decision today to surrender to you and receive that gift of eternal life. Uh, and for, for Christians who are here today that know you, I pray, Lord, that we would be surrendered. Lord, if there's someone who needs to surrender, let them come and make that decision here at the altar. Uh, if prayer's needed, whatever's needed, God, may, perhaps we need to come and, and, uh, and, and begin to talk to you in our daily life, Lord, about the problems that we're facing. Whatever the case may be, Lord, help us respond to you right now in obedience to you. In 